0: Hello, I'm Joshua Groysberg, a history enthusiast.
1: And I'm Jacob Friedman, founder of People's Big News.
0: And this is Gen Zero's
1: Talk Politics. This is where two members of the next generation of American adults talk about what's going on in the world.
0: Since the whole world is on fire, we might as well take a crack at delivering some insightful analysis and maybe some comedy along the way.
1: We'd like to welcome Micah Irfan to the show. Micah is an economics undergrad at the University of Houston, writer for the school's Daily Cougar, president of the Houston chapter of New Liberals, and writer of his own Finding Equilibrium newsletter, talking economic policy and a host of other issues. Micah, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much. And I'll, I'll clarify, the Finding Equilibrium is about economics and a ton of other nerdy topics that very little few people are interested in. But yeah, I've taken
1: a look at it. And you know, I, I'm, I'm hooked.
2: No, yeah, I, I definitely appreciate that. Um, thank you so much. You know, uh, whenever you've initially reached out to me, um, you know, I, I've done podcasting. I know we had a bit of a conversation about it. I think podcasting is such an awesome venue to have conversations with people. And it takes a lot of work to be consistent in it. So
1: I definitely we get that, that podcaster solidarity. I got to help you get some content. <laughs> thank you. Much appreciated. So let's jump right into it. How'd you decide I'm gonna do, I'm gonna go into economics as my major?
2: You know, that's actually a really good question. You know, for a while I was like, I was trying to choose between my majors. You know, again, everybody does, but I, I was making this these decisions as a junior, cause I always like to plan things like two years ahead. And I was like, mm, do I wanna do sociology? Do I wanna do political science? I knew I didn't like science, like just normal, uh, like science, I, I liked the social sciences. And then I was like, well, I want a career as well. And I want people to listen to me, because here's the unfortunate fact for you sociology majors out there in the audience. Sociologists are brilliant, but nobody listens to them. And that's the problem. The only people that powerful people listen to are economists, because they think that the economists can tell them how to make more money. And so that means that economics is is really the best best place for me to go if I wanted to have a positive impact on society.
1: As a political science major, thank you for not, you know, dunking on us. Thank you.
2: <laughs> no, see, yeah, political scientists are equally brilliant and have equally amazing ideas, and most people never even hear about any of them, like voting systems, uh, voting like reform and stuff like that. It's, it's really a tragedy, honestly.
1: President of the Houston chapter, New Liberals, you know clearly you have some sort of political stance. You know, Kara, tell us, you know, in detail what what that means. I'm a
2: little bit opinionated. Yeah, I I have some political opinions here and there. Um, With the New Liberals of Houston, we're basically trying to create a new political ideology, a new kind of affiliation for people, because it seems like uh, there really isn't very much of a kind of a center-left ideology nowadays. There's like, you're a democratic socialist, and so you just, you wanna, you kinda have this vision of like, we need to, uh, in capitalism, we need to socialize property Um, which is, you know, uh, there's, there's people that are have fair reasons for believing that view, we just don't. Uh, And there's the conservative viewpoint, which is, uh, there's a bunch of made up problems that that aren't real, but we're going to be upset about them. And so they have their all these organizations. And there was very few people for these people who believed in like land value taxes, you know, they're yimbis, they're Georgists, they believe in like progressive kind of like missions, but they have very like pragmatic evidence based kind of ideas about how we get there. And so new liberalism, new liberals, that's supposed to give them a sort of identity and our organization and its other chapters around the country um, are supposed to give them a mechanism by which they can actually push for those objectives that, that these people have.
1: What does that mean, though, like if I, if you were to run for office or something like you post your policies on a web on your you know campaign website, what would I see? Like, what would the what would the voter like pick up on? Well,
2: so we'd have to cut out a lot of the stuff that nobody cares about because there's no point campaigning on it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, but uh, I, I think the main priorities that our chapter right now has is um, we have three uh, three missions. Um, it's approval voting. We want to promote uh, approval voting um, at the local level um, within Democratic Party primaries, which we might actually be successful in doing. Keep your eyes keep your eyes looking at the news. Maybe one day we'll actually be successful in that mission. Um, we want it at the state level and the federal level. Um, we also want to switch from property taxes to land value taxes just because <sighs> they're so much better. Uh, we want to uh, promote public transportation. Uh, which is another one of our missions and, and, and you know there's a bonus mission which is just a general mission uh, we want to legalize dense construction um, stop stop forcing uh, uh uh you know the construction of these massive parking lots these like crazy wide roads that are just unnecessarily wide those are our missions
0: so i've i've been reading on your website mike uh, you know you, you've written a lot of interesting things and something that i guess this connects to you being an economics major is about taxes. You've written a lot about the U.S. tax system, about federal taxes, state taxes, local taxes. In your opinion, what is the biggest flaw with the way Americans currently pay their taxes?
2: That is a really big question. Okay, I'd say that the biggest part of the tax code that is absolutely terrible is the income tax. It's just really just the epitome of a mess. There's there's a litany of credits and deductions um, and exemptions that are not only just extremely complicated for Americans to deal with and try to comply with, you know, all, the, all these complexities, but also they're very regressive. Like they distort people's incentives and they also give benefits to people who are disproportionately wealthy. And it's just like, yeah, it's absolutely terrible. And, and so I think that our priority, a bipartisan priority should be making the tax code make sense. Um, and then we can talk about how much we want to tax the rich versus taxing the poor. I mean, I think that we should be taxing the rich more, but the first priority should be making sure that the mechanisms that we're using to tax are ones that are actually um, good at doing their job. And and uh, it seems like the income tax, along with many other tax measures at the federal level and the state level, um, are just terrible no matter what way you
1: slice it. Let's talk about that. How would you improve the tax code? What would you do about the income tax? Like what would you replace it with what would you change what would you about the when you know, talk about the land tax like what how would you do that what would it pay for you know okay. how can we make it different how can we connect you know tax policy and the other policy priorities we want to we want to fund
2: no yeah i think i think that's you know that's a really good way to, of looking at it actually because um, a lot of times we like to talk about taxes and spending as, as if these are things in isolation. Really, they're totally connected. And you can't really understand any policy unless you look at how it, how it impacts people on the tax side and the spending side. Uh, you can have, um, as, as many economists, including um, the ha- famous Harvard economist, Greg Manku, have noted, you can have very progressive taxes and very progressive spending and still leave the poor worse off than if you had flat taxes and the same spending per capita. You give everybody a, like a check, like a universal basic income. So it's very important the way you look at that. Um, I think that when we talk about, uh, let's talk about land value taxes first. Land value taxes are amazing because they're not distortionary at all. They're actually, they actually promote more efficient usage of land, unlike property taxes, which tax people's total property value, which means if you build a building, you've added to the property value, which means your tax bill actually goes up. Even though, last time I checked, we have a housing crisis. So we want people to build buildings, but we tax them for doing so. And we don't want people to use you know, have empty lots, you know, like not use their lots, yet we give them a de facto tax benefit for not building anything. Um, So so um, taxing land would be a more efficient mechanism by which to raise revenue. And it could raise a lot of revenue. Um, It depends on what numbers you use, but we could at least fully replace property taxes. And the revenue projections I used to write a proposal for Houston, we could also replace the sales tax, the local sales tax, which is 2%. And we'd have still more revenue that we can invest in public transportation infrastructure, in community health centers, and all these other important uh, uh, policy priorities at the local level. In in turn, I just wanna answer one other aspect because it was a very big question. In terms of the income tax, there's a lot we can do here. First thing, we just get away, like we just eliminate 90% of current tax measures, like expenditures. Just get rid of the credits, get rid of the deductions, Minimize them. Um, uh, the second thing we can do is, we can expand the base of the income tax. Right now the income tax only applies to essentially wages and income you get from being like self-employed. It doesn't apply, importantly, to capital income, the income you get from owning stuff. Um, it also doesn't apply to your her- inheritance. That's kind of dumb, right? And, and we realize that these things should be taxed, so we have separate taxes for them, which means we have a capital gains tax, which taxes capital gains at a lower rate than your normal income. Then we have an estate tax. Don't even get me started there. We could just count all income as income. Wow, that's a really that why don't we just start there? Um, and, and, and there's other modifications we can do to make sure we iron out um, the, the kind of issues that have been raised. Uh, for instance, many people have raised this issue with taxing capital gains at the same level as income. Right. they've said this lowers investment we've known how to fix this problem for approximately 30 years um it's called a consumed income tax just treat all savings like we treat an ira right now and, and we can we can elaborate on that later uh, but i don't want to bore you so. <laughs>
1: so oh this is good this is this is the meat and potatoes we want to get into we want people to understand what is actually in a tax code. You know, it's not just filling out the forms. It's actually, you know, understanding at a policy level how this all connects together. Because people see the spending bills and how the government shuts down. But no one understands that your income tax, what you pay on your, on your, on your form, what you get in the child tax credit, that's all part of the big machine that keeps running. And so, this is, you know, we want to get into this ta- conversation.
0: Continuing on that topic, you know, you mentioned a lot of these forms of taxes that do apply to the very wealthy. So currently, many progressives are talking about a wealth tax and that would only apply to the wealthiest of the wealthiest Americans. Proponents say that this would pay for more social programs, while opponents argue that this would discourage investment, like you mentioned, and drive out richer people from the country. So I'm just curious, what do you think of this idea? Is there a good policy, or do you have a better alternative to how we could more effectively tax the wealthiest citizens of our country?
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, so wealth taxes, this is a really interesting topic. There's a couple of general principles in economics that we use to kind of analyze taxes, you know, so so people can have a basic understanding of of how we can even kind of judge different tax policies. Uh, One of the general principles is when you tax something, you get less of it, usually. Now with land, that doesn't happen, right? No amount of taxing will get rid of Florida, fortunately or unfortunately. Um, but, But with most things, that's the case. That's why we like externality taxes, right? We tax carbon, the government gets money, and people emit less carbon yay win-win right um so when it comes to wealth taxes what are you taxing here right you're taxing accumulated capital and um a lot of these proposals tax wealth at a rate that is higher than what capital can uh uh, like repeat itself at right if you if you consider the average return on capital to be like you know six seven percent a lot of these really rich people have their money parked in low risk um, securities or low risk companies. For example, Bill Gates has a lot of money in um, waste management, which is a very low return company. Their return on their capital is like 3%. And so when you tax Bill Gates at like 8% on his wealth, you're gonna be having a, like, just a general decline in, in Bill Gates' wealth over time, which is, it seems like that's what some people wanna do. The way that we can judge whether this is a good idea or not is what does this allow us to do spending side and what does this do to the macro economy? Um, at the macroeconomic level, this is just going to massively lead to a lot of rich people not wanting to be in the United States anymore. The idea is that you're going to have a meet and like crazy exit tax on them. I'm not really sure how the logistics of that would work out. Uh, but you're going to see a lot of rich people that are just going to try to avoid the tax by giving away as much money as possible or trying to find a way to avoid it. And I don't think that people should underestimate how crafty rich people can be, because if you look at corporate tax avoidance, you can see that no matter what the government does, the corporations are not going to pay any taxes. And so even if we assume that the wealth tax would actually fully go on to the rich people and they would somehow not find any single way to get around it, uh, they're going to just donate all their money. That's what they're gonna do. And they're gonna donate it to, Bill Gates will do it to the Bill Gates' foundation and their foundations will do what they want or they'll donate it to political actors. The other issues with, with wealth taxation is that usually when you tax something, you're trying to you know create more room for the government to spend, right? And so when you tax consumption, for instance, you're gonna reduce consumption, which allows the government to consume more. Uh, but the issue with taxing capital they just, just, you know, accumulated capital wealth um, is you're reducing investment. Now, we don't really have too much of an issue. Where we're like, man, hey, the government needs to needs more room for investment, you know, there's no investment to be made. Usually, usually we have an economy that's not going at full capacity, which means that when we tax and, and, and create less investment in the US economy, we're not really allowing the government to do that much more spending than it could do before. So I don't think wealth taxes are generally a good idea, unless in the limited case that they're pretty small, like 1%, they're just on very, very rich individuals and they go to directly funding um, a government program that accumulates capital. And so what I mean here is if you tax just very rich people, um, like billionaires, you tax them at 1%, so no one's actually net losing every year, right? that money, if that money directly went to buying stocks for the government, like a social wealth fund, that would make more sense because when they're paying the tax, right, the price of stocks are falling dramatically. And so the government will will basically keep investment rates uh, static and take advantage uh, of that loss of investment. If the government taxed wealth, and then it took the money and spent it on childcare, right, like like Elizabeth Warren was proposing, that would not help the government spend any more money on childcare because it's not it's not increasing the supply of childcare. It's not decreasing the demand for childcare. So, it it a lot of these proposals just just don't make very much sense.
0: Wait, <laughs> but it, it's not necessarily increasing supply or demand for childcare, but one to be increasing the quality of childcare. Meaning the supply of childcare would be the same, but its its quality would be greatly increased.
2: Well, so when we tax, we're decreasing demand, right? So when we tax consumption, we decrease total demand. And so we redistribute that demand to the government. If we tax wealth, the demand for childcare is not gonna be proportionally going down by the amount we tax wealth, right? Because this money isn't going towards childcare, it's going towards investment. That means that if the government spends on childcare, the result is just gonna be inflation. The tax isn't doing very much to help us in this situation. We could just not tax them and spend money on childcare, just print the money. And you'll have very similar economic effects.
0: Got it. So you're able to speak very fluently about economics. You know, I'm sure not a lot of people uh, our age would be able to speak so fluently about it. But um, what's your advice for Gen Z or you know, members of our generation who wanna go into economics but don't know exactly where to start?
2: So I, I have the advantage that I've been just extremely passionate about kind of learning about economics for um a couple of years now and so i'm just a bit of a nerd i i, I just read you know like uh, I, uh one of the one of my iconic moments in my life was my parents were like Micah what are you reading this time and it was a 1950 like three paper on the performance of north korean state enterprises and at that <laughs> point i knew i was like <laughs> i'm gonna be in academia so you know I, i've had the advantage of always being super passionate about reading these types of things but you know, if, if somebody has a passion, and they want to go into economics, really just keep reading. Uh, a lot of times these papers can seem very inaccessible. And through my newsletter, and I think through a lot of other really great uh, resources out there, um, people are trying to make economics more accessible. Uh, but part of it's just brute force, like just keep reading it. And you're eventually going to kind of understand what they're talking about. Um, I, I definitely highly suggest, you uh, You know starting to explore some of the really wonderful great resources that are out there like um, core economics core is created by um, uh, basically people who challenge the the traditional economic theory on a lot of different topics and so they present traditional economic theory and they also present the alternative theories as well so people can get a holistic view about how plenty of different really important um, parts of the economic system work and they're all free and yeah, go check them out. I, I read a bunch of that stuff and, and that helped me a lot.
1: The link will be in the description of this episode for anyone who's interested. I just want to get back to um, your master plan for our uh, for our economy. There's all these problems out there with inflation, unemployment, the pandemic is still going on. Uh, but you said the tax code is still not you know up to date. What would you say is the single biggest problem Right now, in 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 the U.S. economy, and if you had only one solution, one prong solution, what would it be?
2: I'll give you multiple answers just because you know that's what econ-oriented people do. <laughs> How
1: about it? How about I, it?
2: I'm not an economist yet, you know. Hopefully, God willing, one day I will be. But every time you ask an the economist, i be like, I'm going to give you multiple answers based on the, like the assumptions we use. But uh, the reason why I talk about taxes so much is because I feel like it's the one issue where. Um, we're so far away from doing what like is optimal um, that we could really go in a ton of different directions based on someone's ideology, and it would work. And that's why I feel like it's one of those areas where you can have bipartisanship because I, I'm not one of those people who's like, oh my God, you know, like Republicans, they, they're good faith actors. But I think Republicans care about business interests as much as Democrats, and they they don't want to just burn money. Um, I don't think that's in their interest just to burn money in, in bureaucracy and administration. And that's why I talk about taxes because this is an area where no matter how you approach politics, we can do a lot better. And we should be able to be agree about some of the things that we are currently doing that is stupid. Now, in regards to what I could change if we ignore politics entirely, I think healthcare is super important. America's healthcare system is absolutely, positively atrocious. Uh, we we get pretty bad health outcomes, all things considered, except in a few you know key areas. We spend a ridiculous amount. Everybody hears it all the time. Twice as much as you know I think the OECD average, and just so much wasted human potential and bureaucracy. So I, I think I, I think I would I would kind of zone in on healthcare probably.
1: This is gonna be difficult, but can you briefly explain what your preferred solution would be? Is it Medicare for all? Is the public option? You know, or is it something like no one's ever heard of? None of the above, that, that is
2: the difficulty with me. It, it's usually never what the people are talking about, unfortunately. Uh, it, 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 seems like, it seems like the best solutions are usually not the solutions that sound the best in the sound bite. Um I'm a big fan of universal health insurance vouchers. I'm currently working on uh, an article talking about how that would work. If anybody's interested in it, we can link it in the description below. Uh, there's a Brookings uh, uh, report on this from like 2008. That has a similar idea. Essentially, it's this: um, it, it's a model inspired by what they do in Germany, but also sort of what they do in the Netherlands. And where everybody's guaranteed, um, uh, you know, coverage, everybody gets a voucher that they can use, um, and they can use it to choose between uh, multiple competing, you know, non-government, usually nonprofit. Um, insurance plans and they're all, they all have pretty similar specifications uh, but they compete on their hospital networks and and their customer reviews and so on. And um, so everybody's guaranteed coverage but it's not by one central government agency which sets prices for the entire country, it's competing nonprofits. And um, I think that adds a lot more dynamism and, and room for cost control. Than Washington D.C. kind of controlling the whole process, but I will clarify: Medicare for all, regardless of the plan, is dramatically better than what we currently have, and I'd support it very quickly if if I got to choose. But I think this is this is uh, ideal.
1: We'll link the paper in the description. Yes, you know, yeah. <laughs> I saw your uh, little uh, thread on Twitter about it. I saw I. Uh, <laughs> I read a bit of I read a little bit of the paper. I I, the, I must admit I skimmed it, but that does look good. It does look you know I saw the uh, the bottom line, the bottom um, outcomes compared to you know universal single payer and um, current system, and yeah, it's cheaper. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, know. and I think I think the important the important thing is it it it
2: sustains the ability for people to have choice while achieving um, you know all of the benefits that single payer has. Everybody you know, has health insurance. But we don't have to give we don't have to force this one type of health model on people, we can give people a lot more flexibility. And we've seen that the countries that have more flexible financing models that that allow for more different types of approaches to healthcare, depending on what people want. Um, actually have higher rates of healthcare innovation, Switzerland, the Netherlands and Germany are the top three from when it comes for healthcare innovation, the UK um, and, and other beverage model style systems. Basically the government owns the entire healthcare system, top to bottom. These are usually lower, uh, when it comes to healthcare innovation.
1: That checks out. We could go on about this for hours. I would love to for another like three hours, but you know, I like to keep things a little bit brief, but it's been a pleasure to talk to you. This has been an amazing conversation. And, um, you know, just to wrap up here, is there anything else you want to us know about? Is there anything you want to, um, to link to besides the paper and the, uh, you know, your newsletter and Oh, well, yeah, yeah everybody, everybody
2: subscribe is. to my newsletter. Uh, you can just check out my website, Michael You can kind of see everything I'm doing. And I do want to say one, I had a third answer that I forgot to say to your question. Uh, I'll try to keep it really brief. Really, if we can change anything in this country, and, and if there's anything that we should prioritize changing, it's changing how change happens because change does not currently happen in the current system. When change does happen, it's often bad things. Um, and so we need to create a genuine process by which the people actually have control over their government, which is unfortunately not the current system. And so to do that, I think we're gonna have to uh, pull on what political scientists have been doing for the past you know, five decades, showing us all the different ways we can organize uh, decision-making bodies in a way that it genuinely represents the interests of the population, so that can mean sortition, citizens assemblies, um, approval voting, star voting. There's sociocracy. There's so many great ideas you all have. So uh, if I could really change anything, I'd restructure government based on what the smartest political scientists. Um, uh, I, I think,
1: <laughs> Micah, it's great to have you on. Thank you so much for you know talking about all of this. You know, it's my pleasure to have you. We'll link your newsletter. We'll link everything in the description, and uh, good luck. that concludes this episode of Gen Zers Talk Politics. Be sure to join our Discord server, follow us on Instagram at Gen Zero's Talk Politics, and on Twitter at Gen Zero's Talk Poly with an I, and add or email us to ask your burning questions.
0: Thanks for joining us and we hope to see you next time.